Hello and welcome to the Master's Studio. Uh, today we are joined by Inquisitor. Good to have you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, I figure I should get started with the most important question. How long have you been GMing? Um, oh geez. I've been GMing since, it must have been right when I graduated high school was the first time I GMed. So that would be for about 11 years now, on and off. Did you start as a player, or did you dive right into game mastering? Um, I started off as a player during high school, actually. Uh, what was the first game? Uh, the first game was uh, Dungeons & Dragons 3.5. I mean, before that, I did like second edition as like a kid. I read the rule book and played with my brother, but we weren't really playing by the rules. We were just rolling dice and having fun. Yeah, I think Dungeons & Dragons is the gateway drug for most people. Oh, for sure. Uh, so, it uh, looks like in the past you've GM'd for D&D 3.5, 4th Edition, Pathfinder, Call of Cthulhu, Dark Heresy, and Shadowrun 5th Edition. Yeah, 5th Edition's what I'm running right now. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Between all the games you have GM'd so far, do you have a preference as a GM? I mean, each system kind of has its pros and cons. I'd say probably Dark Heresy was my least favorite of the systems mechanically, even though I really do enjoy the 40k setting. Shadowrun's probably my favorite, but it's also the one I'm running right now, so it's a little biased in that regard. Right. Do you have a favorite as a player? Um, well, I haven't had a chance to play Shadowrun yet, but my favorite to play would be uh, Call of Cthulhu, because it just sense of dread around every corner is really fun as a player for me. Uh, now, you've just gotten into Shadowrun 5th Edition? Yeah, I learned it um, about a month and a half ago is when I borrowed the book from a friend and started tearing through that monstrosity. How easy has it been for you to pick up? It's been a bit of a chore, to be perfectly honest. The rule set itself is a pretty good rule set, but... The way in which the book is written and laid out makes learning the rules a very unintuitive process. Thankfully, there's a lot of um, really good resources online these days in terms of uh, subreddits, YouTube channels, podcasts that I've been listening to help. But it's been something I've had to intentionally sit down and put a lot of effort into. Do you prefer to go buy the book or are you the type that will sometimes make stuff up on the fly? Um, I like to definitely know the rules and have a really solid handle on them so I know when I'm diverging from them, but I'll definitely do things behind the scenes where I'll tweak results and tweak numbers and tweak rules without my players knowing. And a lot of times, especially for um, Shadowrun, you, it's a dice pool system, and a lot of times I'll be like, this guy should be roughly this competent at this skill, so I'll give him 14 dice. I won't really figure out how he gets there, if it's cyberware or his natural skills or magic or whatever that's getting him there. I just know to challenge the players, he should be roughly 14 dice strong, for example. As someone who has also fudged dice in their own experience as a game master, uh, do you have any limits to how much you would change a role? I would change it pretty extremely. The The one example that stood out to me is um, I was running, it was a fourth edition D&D adventure that I'd modified from a, a module where the players had to get a key or some kind of MacGuffin from 
the other side of a room and they were supposed to run across it and there was these statues with chain whips that were going to swing at the players to make it tense and the rogue of the party ran forward and I rolled for the three statues and I rolled three critical hits which would have pretty much instantly killed him for doing what the puzzle essentially was asking him to do. So I just basically fudged it so I think one, maybe two of them hit him, but I didn't instantly gib him for doing the challenge that was presented. How much I'm willing to fudge the dice is pretty much based around dramatic intent and the entertainment of the players. Usually it's fudging things in favor of the players or sometimes making the big bad guy last a little longer so the fight's satisfying, but that's usually the direction. Have you ever had any disagreements with players or between players? I've definitely had a lot of disagreements between players running Shadowrun, but I think that's part of the system. There's a lot of um, gray morality situations going on. It's been actually a reoccurring theme of what to do with people that have surrendered. Um, Because in Shadowrun, people knowing your face and knowing who you are is a really big problem but once someone surrendered and dropped their weapons there's you know one there's a couple players at the table that don't like killing them and a couple players that are more than happy to that's been a point of contention pretty frequently as far as disagreements with me as the gm um during gameplay i tend to run a pretty tight tyrannical ship if i'm being perfectly honest and i don't really brook disagreements with me while playing obviously something like hey i think you forgot this rule or whatever is totally fine but in terms of actually arguing out something, my players understand that that during gameplay is not the time and the place for it. My email is always open, or they have all my contact information, and I'm totally happy to hash out rules with them between game sessions. Um, similarly, especially with Shadowrun, um, if I don't know the rules for something within about eh, 15 seconds, I'll just house rule it and um, tell them, you know, this is what we're doing for this session. I'll look up what we're supposed to do for real between sessions, but I don't want to bog this down, so let's just keep moving. Mm. So, heavy hand, but not an iron fist. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I mean, it's important that they know that you're trying to move the story forward, but that you're not uh, deaf to their pleas, as it were. Yeah, it's really all about keeping that forward momentum because nothing makes the game less fun for me as a player about you know just sitting down and watching two people go back and forth for 30 minutes over a rule i just i have we all have better ways to spend our time right we have stories to tell (laughs) so with shadow run i know the famous duality of that system is uh black trench coat versus pink mohawk Mm -hmm. uh what would you say your group is currently leaning towards if any it's a little interesting because my group has eight players total in it but in each session i mean we're all like pushing 30 now at this point all of us have various obligations so not everyone can make it to every session so we have some characters and some players that skew to the opposite extremes we're probably at work most of the time more black trench coat maybe pink trench coat sometime we haven't ever gone full-blown pink mohawk but we have one player, for example, who intentionally built a character. He's, his name is Ghost. And um, he's bland intentionally. He has no cyberware intentionally, no illegal items intentionally. He took knowledge ranks in stamp collecting so he could just be as boring as possible. And he's all about low-key social infiltration of locations and being forgettable. So definitely on the black uh, trench coat side of things. Yeah, I can see how uh, his blandness 
almost makes him stand out, at least from a GM perspective. Yeah, he's really fun to play with um, in that regard. Tone-wise, would you say it's uh, more levity? Do they try to be more serious about it? Um, We're definitely going pretty heavy with Shadowrun. Our our group also runs um, Dungeons & Dragons. Um, Sometimes I'm not the GM for that at this point. One of our other friends is. And that tends to be more of our time to laugh and have fun and do silly things. Uh, one of the runs they did recently in Shadowrun, they they didn't case the um, the apartment they were breaking into well enough and didn't realize that the person had a wife and child off the book. So when they kidnapped him, they had to decide if they were going to, you know, stick to their guns as Shadowrunners, honor the contract that they said they'd fulfill, or if they were, and tear this family apart in the process, which is ultimately what they ended up going with, or if they were going to break their promise to their Mr. Johnson mid-run and figure out what to do from there so it's it's tending towards the heavier hitting stuff with a situation like that which could go so many different ways do you try to plan out consequences ahead of time or do you prefer to play it by ear um i kind of find that i have to play it by ear because there's every run i've planned so far has gone so sideways compared to what i expected my players to do that to plan for all the possible results is an exercise in futility almost instead what i try and plan around is make characters that are very um detailed in terms of their motivations their wants their needs and settings and locations that are very nuanced and that way they can respond to the players in a way that's believable and consistent without me needing to railroad them back onto certain paths in order to get what i prepped to come forward and play for the sense of progress i'm not entirely familiar with shadowrun do they pretty much just gear up or do they they level level up? up um they end up earning karma and new yen from their runs and what's kind of fun is based on their decisions during the run if they for example for that run for fulfilling that contract and delivering the husband to the mr johnson they made a lot of new yen but they didn't make a lot of karma if they had instead um taken the whole family and extracted them they may have made no new yen whatsoever maybe some thank you from the family but they would have got a lot of karma instead so either way they would feel like their characters are progressing mm-hmm. and based on their actions it helps determine how they're progressing karma is like an exp system that you spend to upgrade individual stats and skills and then new yen just the currency to buy new gear mm. seems like have good enough gear you may not need as much karma yeah it depends especially early on you're always going to be hungry for new yen because one thing that um shadowrun does is you have a lifestyle that you need to support and every month you have to pay your lifestyle fee so they're always hustling it keeps the players hungry which is good and also there's just a lot a lot of expensive gear i mean my players make anywhere from ten thousand to maybe 20,000 new yen in a single run, 20,000 being near the upper end for most things. And some individual upgrades for just the first tier of them cost 95,000 new yen and go up from there, doubling each time. When you create a story like for Shadowrun, do you have an overarching maybe villain or theme throughout? With Shadowrun, what I've done is, between going on various forums, subreddits, and looking at some published materials, I've gotten some basic adventure or run hooks and ideas, and then based on the player's actions, I'm letting 
how it plays out, develop, and using that to inform the overall narrative and plot. I didn't have one made in advance, but for example, in their very first run, they knocked over a mafia-owned, basically McDonald's franchise, and they wanted to cover their tracks and not have it come back to them. So they told that mafia that um, they were sent by the, they made a knowledge roll and came up with the name of another mafia. So they were sent by the Charniellos. Now, two runs later, the Charniellos weren't too appreciative of their name being used incorrectly and came and did do an attack on the players. And I was expecting this to be a throwaway scene, but it was spearheaded by the son of the Charniello family. And through a series of incredibly good die rolls and some good decision making, they killed the son. So now I'm going to have to branch that out and the fallout from that. And if they're, the Charniello's are going to gain or lose territory, if they're going to be in a position to exact vengeance, I have to figure that out now. But that's not anything I planned in advance because I really didn't know where the players were going to go with it. Yeah, I guess that's the good thing. They'll even if you don't have anything planned, the players are going to give you something. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things they can do is sometimes they'll make connections between two groups and say, "Oh, they must have been sponsored by uh, the, the the mayor that we've been dealing with lately." And if you you probably weren't planning that at all as the GM, but once they make that connection, if you like it, you can just then make that connection real. So your players have helped flesh out your world for you. And they think they're super clever for having solved something that didn't yet exist. Right. Between sessions, or after a session, rather, do you do anything to basically keep notes? Like, do you journal, or do you just try to keep the overall story in your head? I've I've got a calendar printed out. I actually went to like timeanddate.com and printed out the calendar year for what it should be for 2075, because that's the year that their Shadowrun campaign starting in because um, Shadowrun does track downtime. Uh, healing can take the course over several days. Um, getting high-end equipment can take weeks or maybe even months to show up. Um, so as they do things, I'm writing it down on the calendar and then rolling dice and making decisions behind the scenes about when repercussions from certain actions might come back to haunt them. I'd like to turn the focus from Shadowrun back to the very first game you GM'd. Just wondering what your process for GMing was like back then as opposed to now. Changed at all? It definitely has changed back then. The first game I GMed was the 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons, and it was just coming out, and I had listened to uh, Acquisitions Incorporated. It was just coming out when um, they were doing Keep on the Shadow Fell at, uh, with Penny Arcade. And... I just bought that module and read through it and tweaked stats and tweaked some text to put my my own voice into it. But I was pretty much just running that module wholesale. And especially with Dungeons and Dragons, I feel it's a little more acceptable to railroad your players down the certain dungeon path that's been planned for them. So yeah, back then I was a lot more by the books with tweaks and a lot more like here's the adventure path I've laid down. How you go down it is up to you, but you're going down it. Yeah, I hear a lot of talk lately uh, about railroading and certain different uh, ongoing games, as it were. Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to give your players agency. I feel like some people could maybe be a little too reactionary to railroading. In a way, you've created a theme park for your players, and it's nice that they get on the attractions. Right. 
I mean, a roller coaster. It's on rails. Right. It's still a fun time. <laughs> exactly. What would you say is the best way for you to get in a creative zone when you're trying to figure out a new hook or a new encounter, as it were? I definitely take the approach that um, good artists borrow, great artists steal, or however that line goes. Uh, I just, especially for a Shadowrun, um, you know, I watch Ghost in the Shell, I read Neuromancer, I listen to other Shadowrun podcasts, I there's really incredible forum posts online about um, the layouts of corporations and things like that. There's a really good podcast for Shadowrun called uh, the Neo-Anarchist Podcast, where the person does Shadowrun history in character, and just hearing those bits of history gives me ideas of what could happen in my own run. Similarly, if I was DMing Dungeons & Dragons, I'd read fantasy, watch Game of Thrones, that kind of thing. Does anything in particular that you've watched that you've uh, been inspired by stand out? Well, I mean, for Shadowrun, it's really hard for me not to go to Ghost in the Shell. But it's one of those things where that show, being a television show, is allowed to have plots of, of, of a level of intricacy and a level of detail that you can't really do in... Um, in a role-playing game due to the fact that you can't trust your players to pursue the rabbit holes you set up for them always. Have you borrowed any scenes wholesale, or is it strictly uh, inspiration? Um, strictly inspiration so far. I haven't done any scenes wholesale. I've definitely took, taken some ideas where they need to get into people's like cyber brains or get into compartments of people smuggling things inside like internal cyber compartments and things like that. But we're, we're still pretty fledgling on the, the Shadowrun campaign. This is, I think we did our fifth session last time and we've been, we've been luckily getting to play every weekend so far, but pretty soon my school and work are going to start back up. So that's going to become more intermittent. Mm. As you GM a game, do you ever come up with characters as a way to put yourself into the game? Personally, no. I don't usually do that in as a player or as a DM. Uh, I like to create characters to explore the concept of that character and their own personality. I get to spend a lot of time being myself. I know a lot of people enjoy making characters based on themselves, but I always like to play someone who's not me because it's I, personally I find it more refreshing and exciting. Do you ever put in NPCs as a way to give you an in-universe agency as opposed to puppeteering the others? Uh, yeah, I mean they're they're a great way to get things moving in the direction you want to and. I like to use them as a way to spur the players into action by presenting them with interesting choices. Have you ever tried a system where the GM changes from week to week, or are you pretty much the sole GM? Pretty much every time I've played a system, it's been a sole GM week to week. Recently, we played Mouse Guard um, and actually kind of struggled with the rules, which surprises us considering it's supposed to be such a light system. And we're thinking of having a rotating GM for that, but it's sort of taking a backseat to Shadowrun at the moment while we all get into that system. Mm. Now, do you have a final encounter planned like in your back pocket if something were to happen or is it just week to week 
It's usually pretty week to week. I, whenever I'm planning a run, I write up and stat up all the enemies, usually in shorthand in advance. And due to the nature of the game, about half the time they don't see about half the enemies. So those just go in a folder and those can be pulled out at any time. So at any point, I could drop a high threat response team on them, a red samurai, Renraku elite team. I've got a few different elite spellcasters set up and also the stats for a young dragon. So if I ever need to drop some heavy ordnance on them on short notice, I'm well prepped. If a character or one of your players was going to have their character die, would you straight up fudge the roll or would you give them an option? It depends on the system and the nature of the game. For something like Dungeons & Dragons, which is supposed to be heroic high fantasy, um, unless they've done something dumb or made some choices, I probably would not kill their character. Knock them down, put them within, you know, one health of dying, really put the fear into them. But in something like Shadowrun, even if they don't make a bad decision, if the dice don't smile on them, I tend to play it pretty straight. Uh, just last session, actually, it, it amazed me. They were, they were going to a zoo for a handoff, and it was a, a zoo in a militarized zone. And for whatever reason, they just assumed that meant it was safe, and they left all their guns and most of their armor in the van, which completely flabbergasted me as the GM. Didn't expect this at all. Um, plan in advance was the person they were handing off to was an FBI agent who had screwed the pooch, blown his cover, and was going to get um, assassinated by a team of ex-Russian Spetsnaz named Chimera that were incredibly elite. And I just let that happen. Um, one of my players got down to unconscious on the floor. The other one had two health remaining in the opening salvo. And they could have died if they didn't all start running away and get out of the way of the team. At least in Shadowrun, though, if you do die, you can permanently reduce one of your stats called Edge, which sort of represents luck, to not die instead, in which case I would give them some kind of permanent disadvantage to their character based on how they were going to die. Can you remember the last time you had a player death while you were GMing? The last time I had a player death while I was GMing, I believe, was Dark Heresy. This was the last session we did of it, because it was an interesting um, system and an interesting setting, but the rules didn't quite interface in a way that was being satisfying for our group. But um, one player tried to bluff their way out of being held up at auto gun point, flubbed the roll, and basically got mowed down in front of everyone, and at which point everyone decided to stop acting cute and surrender. How did the player take it? He took it on the chin. He had a good laugh about it, but um, most of my players are pretty well-spirited about this kind of thing. Uh, I've already had a couple of my Shadowrun players talk about um, their backup characters they're planning and how they're, you know, not to worry if I end up which is a, a distinct and real possibility. Do you think they have a case of alt-itis, or is it just uh, they trust you as a GM to not take it too easy on them? Um, they definitely trust me to not take it too easy on them, and it might be a bit of altitis. Uh, Shadowrun's an interesting system in that they're, it's classless, and building characters is very freeform, and I'm sure a lot of them would like to try and explore that system now that they've got five or so games under their belt and understand the mechanics a little better, and one of the easiest ways to do that would be to have your character die. But I also just think 
even with an eight-character party, there's a lot of archetypes and ideas and character styles that aren't touched upon, and I'm sure they're just curious to try other ways of playing. Eight players, it's a pretty hefty responsibility, but you were saying they tend to not all gather at the same time. Yeah, usually we have about five or six players at the table. Once the schedules aligned and all eight players showed up, which was really an exercise in juggling between the players as fast as I could. I basically modified the run that we were doing and invented a backup power generator that needed to be taken out to lower the security systems in the area, which allowed me to split the the party, essentially, which is fine in Shadowrun because there's long-distance instant communication with direct neural interfaces, so almost telepathy. And that gave each player the chance to shine, and it also let me just, I got to bounce between both groups as they were figuring out what they wanted to do and what they wanted to roll and what their stats were for that situation. I could just bounce to the other group, move them a little further forward, and just keep moving back and forth between the two groups to keep a decent pace. With the setting for Shadowrun, uh, communication between characters is a little easier. Mm -hmm. But do you have a limit for table talk? I haven't done that yet in Shadowrun because of how new everyone is to the system. It's something I would like to enforce. On the other hand, it has done a good job of my players building on one another's nervousness and stress in a situation in a way that I don't really want to hamper. So it was my original plan to try and be a little strict about table talk, but watching how it's actually playing out at the table, I think I'm fine with letting it happen. Uh, last time we were playing with those Chimera Assassins, um, one of my my players was literally like sweating and nervous and fidgety at <laughs> during the initial volley of the gunfight. What about in previous systems? Have you ever had to crack down on table talk not too much really my players tend to do a good job of keeping focused oh, that's good it's uh can be pretty hard when you're trying to tell a story and things are going eight different ways yeah they do a good job of keeping focus and most of the, as long as the table talk is on the game and on focus on helping player decision making that's fine i fortunately don't have the problem of players i don't know popping off on their phones or um, talking about the game or talking about um their plans for the weekend or anything like that. Everyone does a really good job of staying laser-focused on the game, which is impressive because our last session was 11 hours straight for Shadow. Oh, wow. It sounds like this is a pretty well-versed group in terms of RPGs. Do they tend to min-max or do they go character-focused? Um, it's a bit split. I have a couple of players that are very much character focused. Um, they are also the most experienced GMs of the group. Go figure. Um, the players that tend to min max, um, they usually do support it with role playing, but you can tell that they invented their character archetype first and their dice pools first and then created the background to support it. It's fine because as the GM, I can essentially fudge the dice and give challenges at the appropriate tier to each player and make sure that each has a chance to be challenged and has a chance to shine. For your group, do they tend to stay in character or are they more of a uh, third person narration? They tend to narrate in the third person. Um, they speak from their character's perspective. They they do talk for their character. They don't say, you know, uh, Lucifer's are the party's face. He doesn't, you know, doesn't say like Lucifer convinces him that he should give him the money. He he will talk that out. But then he will usually say something like, 
Lucifer panics and leaps behind the couch to take cover from the gunfire. Do you find that helps with immersion or keeping them from getting too invested in a character? Um, I, th- I think it's a pretty good balancing point, and I do always try and make sure while at the table to use their character name instead of their real name. That way it helps keep it focused on their characters and their personality a little more, but we don't go too whole hog. Mm. Well, we're going to start wrapping up here, but before we do, I'm going to shamelessly rip off the PIVO questionnaire that Uh-oh. ends... Uh, with some tweaks. What is your favorite word? Oh, wow. My favorite word. That's that's really tough. You're asking an English major what his favorite word is. Um, I, defenestrates up there? I mean, that's just a good nice. word. I'll have to go with that on the spot, have you, though. Have you had to do that in a campaign? <laughs> I haven't had to throw a player out the window yet, but that's just become my new GM goal, so thank you for that. Uh, what is your least favorite word? My least favorite word might be... Turgid? Ooh. Yeah, it's a gross word. <laughs> I mean, I, I know a lot of people dislike moist, which I personally don't get the dislike for it but turgid just seems a little menacing if it's it depends on what follows you know like moist cake is delicious but moist bread yeah i'm all about that what about soggy bread uh it depends on why it's soggy if you're dipping it in some delicious like meat sauce or something okay i can take that a delicious au jus oh yes now you're speaking my language uh, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I really crave novelty and new ideas and things I haven't seen or heard before, which is a little exhausting because it means I'm always trying to find something new. And unfortunately, it means that I often burn out on series and um, programs and things I otherwise like just because they're still the same thing they were before, which isn't fair to them. But... I just always like learning and acquiring new things and new perspectives. Has that ever come into play when you were GMing, where you were getting tired of a story? Uh, definitely. That's one of the things I like. I'm liking about, uh, say, Shadowrun versus Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons, you tend to follow this one narrative arc with maybe some, you know, variety from level one to level 20. It's usually about that epic arc and that big progression. While Shadowrun tends to be much more episodic, where each run can really stand alone, you do want to link them by some kind of meta plot to help the world feel living and to respond to the players. But Really, it's a much more episodic system, which I enjoy. Have you ever abruptly ended a game, or do you always have an ending, like a definite, grandiose ending to a game? Um, I haven't had to abruptly end a game. Usually, they they carry through to the the handoff where we're going to give stuff to the Mr. Johnson or to where they cleared the dungeon. Sometimes you have to pause partway through and pick it up next time because things ran longer than expected. Uh, I've only had to grandstand with a player once and threaten to end the game, but that's when I was GMing for my brother, and siblings can get under one another's skin, and he he was uh, going against my policy of not arguing rules with the GM mid-session. GM first, brother second. (laughs) Right. 
what turns you off? Mm, like in terms of uh creatively, spiritually or emotionally. I if something is hmm I don't know if there's any hard and fast things that when I that always make me not interested in something. If something feels mean-spirited, I guess. I don't mind if something is, you know, dystopic. Obviously, I'm playing Shadowrun. But if I feel like something is there to inflict hurt on someone in terms of putting someone down or a group down or something like that, that's really just not something I'm interested in experiencing. Now, there's the X card, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with. I'm not. Uh, it's basically, uh, if you're in a role-playing session, if somebody does something that makes you or anyone in the group uncomfortable or says something, you can just put the X card up and say, hey, this makes us uncomfortable, so we're just going to kind of try to self-censor ourselves. It's a fantastic idea. Um, I can actually see that coming up a lot in Shadowrun because it has the potential for dealing in human trafficking, organ legging, um, prostitution, and things like that. So it, that's a great system. Hopefully, I feel like, at least with my group, um, I know that they would be willing just to speak up if they weren't comfortable. But having a codified system, especially if you're not playing with the same group every time, if you're playing at gaming stores, that's a wonderful idea. Yeah, it's... Uh... Something I've learned from watching uh, Hyper RPG on their weekly affirmation series, they tend to employ it more, and uh, it's good because it creates a safe space for the role players. It uh, is not an antagonistic X card, it's for the enjoyment of the whole group. Yeah, that's a really great idea. What is your favorite curse word to hear from your players? <sighs> Well, at this point with Shadowrun, my players have been complete deers and um, started using the swears that are in universe for Shadowrun, which would be fragging and drek. Um, and so yeah, right now, yet. yeah, right now hearing oh drek is pretty much my favorite thing because it means one they're worried and two they're worried in character. Nice. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Ooh, sound or noise that I love. I, I actually just really like birds. That's probably a boring answer, but I just, anytime my window's open and I can hear birds chirping outside, it makes me happy. And what sound or noise do you hate? I don't like when plastic milk cartons scrape up against things. That's oddly specific, I realize, but that is an unpleasant noise to my ears for whatever. Hmm. I mean, personally, for me, it's the sound of ice scraping. Um, I might act. Maybe I might make an addendum. The sound of my father chewing ice incredibly loudly is something that's always bugged me since I was a child. Yeah, it, I'm getting the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. Yeah, and I don't even know your dad. <laughs> uh, what game system, other than one you've run already, would you like to attempt? So my current dream to run. 
and I'm slowly starting to peck away at the system, even though honestly I should be focusing on Shadowrun because it's such a daunting system and I'm only like cracking the surface of the ice with it, is I would love to run uh, Battletech. Um, not just as the tabletop game, but as the full-blown RPG system. Uh, like you, I've been watching some hyper-RPG stuff. Well, thanks to you, I've been watching uh, Death from Above. And um, I don't think they're using the pen and paper system from Battletech, but they are role-playing in the Battletech universe. I think they're using their own modified system. But right. I would love to do some stuff in that universe with my players. Uh, with uh, a time of war mixed with the miniatures. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Because uh, I do, a lot of my players do enjoy that crunchy tactical combat. I mean, with the with Dungeons and Dragons background and now Shadowrun, I mean, that's uh, mm-hmm. pretty obvious. Right. It's, it's a pretty big hill to climb with that system, but, you know, people climb Everest for a reason. I figure if I can tackle Shadowrun, I can tackle this. I mean... They're both Catalyst Game Lab, so... Uh, what game system would you not like to do? Um, I don't know if there's any I would explicitly not like to do, but I know that there are some that wouldn't be suited to my own talents. Um, I wouldn't, for example, run anything probably from like White Wolf, anything like Vampire or Werewolf-centric, just because I'm not good at that style of horror. I'm not interested in that style of horror stories usually so i wouldn't do a good job of conveying that to my players what about fatal (laughs) i mean i would like to play fatal once out of a sense of morbid curiosity but i don't think i'd want to do a campaign or be the one who has to sit down and learn the rules yeah that's fair enough everybody uh doesn't want to be in a car crash but they can't look away either pretty much uh, so when your game finishes, what would you most like to hear your players say? Um, I would just like them really to recount the events of the session. And that means it was memorable to them. For example, um, after this last session with the whole zoo debacle, um, since only five of the eight players were there, one of my players typed up a session report to email out to the group. And just seeing that they remembered every little detail and every person they fought and who gave them what job offer, when and why, and who they turned down, that's the best praise I feel like I can get as a GM because that means it stuck with them and it was meaningful to them. Do you have any memorable situations from previous games that have just stuck with your group throughout the year that they'll, you know, just say, hey, you know, remember when such and such happened? I think the two players that went down last session are going to get ribbed about that a lot. But um, going further back... Uh, as a player, one thing that stuck around as with my group is the very first time I was playing um, 3.5 D&D I was, as a player, um, I had a halfling outrider who rode around on a war dog with a lance, and we were supposed to treat with some people in the forest, and ends attacked us that were actually, turned out, were supposed to be on our side. I charged up, rolled uh, critical, confirmed it, killed the Ent outright, and was therefore known as the Ent Slayer from now on, and when that session ended and I I went to go off to college. The GM actually printed me out a wooden plaque that said, you know, Garrett Underbow and Slayer on it. Nice. Well, that's a pretty good story to end on. I'll take it. 
All right. Well, thank you for coming to the Master Studio. Thank you for having me. I've been your host, Moon Rules, and remember, you're not just an umpire, you're a world builder. <laughs> <laughs>